Good morning. I am your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the October 2nd, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. It's National Custodial Workers Recognition Day, and it's 35 days till the midterm elections. Last Tuesday was National Voter Registration Day. The results are in. 2014, 154,500 people registered to vote on this National Voter Registration Day. And in 2018, more than 800,000 did. But according to uh, others, it's just that's just not enough. Rick Hassan, our UCI Law School faculty, I like to tap him with voter laws and all that. He said that um, 46 million voted in the primaries. And without additional comments, he simply posted that that was not enough. All right, today's program, we begin electoral coverage with a candidate, California State Senator Kevin DeLeon, who's challenging California U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein in this year's general election on November 6th. The incumbent has a sizable record. Today, we'll get a bit acquainted with Mr. DeLeon. Then in the second segment, Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar voters, will weigh in with how he's managing this year's midterm election. It's the ritual. We have elections. We talk to Neil. We'll be right back after a station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest today is California State Senator Kevin DeLeon, fresh off the latest California state legislative session and deep into campaign season as he challenges incumbent U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. He's termed out at the end of this current legislative session. During his undergraduate years, he worked for One Stop Immigration Center in Los Angeles. He later became a labor organizer for the California Teachers Association and was campaign manager for former Assemblyman Fabian Nunez. Kevin DeLeon served two assembly terms, 2007 to 2018, representing Hollywood and Northeast LA, and then was elected to the state Senate serving a district more East LA in these last two legislative sessions, and he became president pro tem of that chamber in 2014. Legislation which he's authored includes Senate Bill 350, setting energy utility mandates, Senate Bill 100, setting ambitious clean energy goals, Senate Bill 535, the Charge Ahead California Act, Senate Bill 1235 legislation requiring serial numbers for firearms, Senate Bill 54, the Sanctuary State Law, Senate Bill 967, affirmative consent requirement on California campuses. He attended UC Santa Barbara and later earned his bachelor's degree at Pitzer College. Kevin DeLeon comes to us today from downtown Los Angeles. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Kevin DeLeon. Well, good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's, a, it's indeed a, a pleasure. Okay. I know you're wedging us in with so many campaign appearances. It means a lot that you're making the time for us. Well, Californians are opportunistically stepping up. 
countervailing national policy, interacting on an international level in the realms of energy, climate change, trade, technology, immigration, internet neutrality, and much more. As a U.S. senator, you'd be transitioning rapidly from a legislator, a veteran legislator in California, to a junior senator in the U.S. Senate, kind of like a big fish in a state pond to a small fish in a huge national pond. How would you, how are you preparing to make that sizable leap? Well, I think it's it's kind of we export California values to Washington, not the other way around. I think that Washington has been broken and functional for a very long time, and it's been a culture of just simply no. You can't do this, you can't do that. It's always been no, 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 and it's always been the same old, same old. And I think it's time that because of our major accomplishments, many of them that you have just articulated uh, very nicely, that as the fifth largest economy in the world, we really need to export California leadership to Washington, again, and not the other way around. Um, by playing by the country club rules of Washington, D.C., is not going to help uh, young dreamers. It's not going to help uh, with climate change and reducing um, our carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere. It's not going to bring about immigration reform. And it just you just mentioned, because the governor just signed the bill uh, on Sunday that I'm a joint author, on net neutrality, the most aggressive, far-reaching net neutrality measure in the country. So I think it's time that we have a, a voice on the front lines in Washington, D.C., and not on the front lines. Okay. And so on what committees would you envision serving? Well, I'd like to continue my work uh, as a leader on clean energy and climate change as the author of 100% clean energy that puts California on the pathway to 100% clean energy, decarbonizing our grid by the year 2045. And guess what? I think we'll get there even sooner, 10 years before 2045. I, I, I want to sit on the Environment and Energy Committee in Washington, D.C., I think that what we have accomplished in California, we can amplify it uh, to the rest of the country. Uh, I want to sit on the uh, uh, Judiciary Committee uh, because I'm not going to move 60% of Donald J. Trump's uh, nominees to the federal bench. These are these aren't term limited appointments; these are lifetime appointments. And plus, the reality is we have we are home to the largest number of immigrants in the country whether they're naturalized citizens, legal permanent residents, undocumented immigrants, dreamers, DACA recipients. Um, we need a strong voice on the Judiciary Committee that's going to lead for the entire country from California because we have the largest number of immigrants uh, in California. We need that strong voice. Um, I'd like to serve on foreign relations, and the reason why I serve on foreign relations is, quite frankly, the to change the paradigm shift when it comes to foreign relations and foggy bottom with the axis of the eastern seaboard vis-a-vis -vis, um, the Atlantic uh, and our European countries, our friends and neighbors and allies, um, will continue to play a role. But we have to really focus on the Pacific Rim and our own Western Hemisphere on issues that impact us here in California, the issues of drugs, the issues of trafficking of arms and weapons, of human trafficking, the issue of immigration, the issue of climate change and the hurricanes that are having a devastating impact on Central American countries and Caribbean nations, and we're seeing these mass migra uh, migration patterns. So we have to focus um, uh, on our Western Hemisphere and also, too, on the Pacific Rim because of China. 
Well, you know, this is partly answering my next question. With there is and so and so much drama with all the human created disasters on the national level, the innumerable short term wins versus the long term considerations are the order of the day, and the the vast vacancy still in federal government. What Senator De Leon? in your estimation, are crucial public policies that are getting missed, that the public has its attention diverted from? What concerns you? Yeah, that's a very, very good... I, I am back. Can you uh, hear me now? Yes, I can. Thank you so much. You were saying what hey, concerns I you. I don't know what happens. I have all three parts. Well, you're in the middle of it all. Go right ahead. Yeah. Well, I can say that three things that come to mind that Washington has really dropped the ball on continuously is the issue of health care. Um, and Medicare for all, not Medicare for some. There's a lot of folks uh, in Orange County who do have access to health care, but the reality is is that the premiums and out-of-pocket expenses are very, very expensive. Um, the issue of climate change and what it means to a state like California with a continued drought, um, our prolonged summer, and the issue of uh, immigration. Um, like I said earlier, we uh, we have the vast majority of immigrants uh, in California, and we need to deal with this issue once and for all. And Washington has continuously dropped the ball on these very, these three very critical issues that will impact the lives of Californians uh, uh, in a potentially very positive way if they have the right voice and leadership in Washington. So for those of you who have just tuned in, we're getting fresh off of his press conference in L.A. We're trying to keep the connection going. My guest is California State Senator Kevin DeLeon. He's challenging incumbent U.S. Senator Diane Feinstein in this upcoming midterm election on November 6th. When you've associated with California's environmental vanguard, Senator DeLeon, what would you assess are the costs and benefits of the Cadiz water project, which would be pumping water from the Mojave Desert to many Southern California cities and includes several in water districts in Orange County. You su- and we'll, then I'll ask well, that, him. That, that's, yeah, that's a very good question. I can't give you an exact assessment right now. I will tell you this. It's a highly controversial project. And Indeed. we have folks on both sides of the uh, issue. Um, I have a lot of friends on the environmental side who are staunchly opposed uh, to this issue. We have uh, labor unions, uh, because of the promise of, of jobs in an area that's uh, historically been economically depressed, who are very supportive of this project as well. Um, but no doubt, there's one thing I can say: it, it's been a controversial project uh, across the board, with folks uh, who don't want it to move forward, and with other folks who do really want it to move forward and uh, believe that it will supply a stream of, of water, uh, especially to Orange County. It's how um, uh, uh, controversial project, uh, no question about it. But unfortunately, I don't have the, any uh, fiscal assessment of, of. I wanted to ask but, you: you support the Poseidon desalinization plant in Huntington Beach, based on your state environmental advocacy record. What in the Poseidon project is compelling to you? Well, with regards to the Poseidon project, one of my concerns is because climate change and what the potential economic devastation will be if these droughts continue to persist. And we will need to have, um, if you will, um, uh, a reserve of water uh, in the event if climate change continues to ravage uh, uh, the state of California. Um, Coming back from Australia, I spent um, about a week in Australia, 
and I traveled around the country, and I talked to a lot of leading experts um, who were not even uh, supportive at the time with, when it comes to a project such as uh, Poseidon. Uh, but one thing was very clear is they took out an insurance policy because in um, in Australia they had 12 years of a historic record drought that really devastated the economy, jobs, uh, growth uh, for certain parts of Australia. Although large parts of Australia are a very arid desert region, the vast majority of the population lives on the eastern coast of Australia. So when I went down to Australia, I actually learned a lot about water policy uh, and about our own home state in California. California has always been um, uh, in the middle of these, uh, these very polemic and polarizing and controversial wars when it has come to the issue of, of water. We're going to have to learn how to manage our water better. We're going to have to learn how to conserve our water better because I think this is going to be the new new. And I think a lot of consumers in California are going to have to get accustomed to this because of climate change. So we tackle climate change, and this is not just a state regional issue. This is a global issue. Um, this may be the new news. So with projects such as Poseidon, you know, um, privately funded and paid for, uh, ultimately it's up to them and, and the Coastal Commission to, to make their decision. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that folks are looking for insurance policies in the event of the supply of water. Uh, becomes very limited. Well, my my water brain trust informs me of how energy intensive desalinization plants are, and the externalities. What to do with that that salt byproduct of desal, and then the whole where do the ratepayers fit in those? So there's a lot of elements that I think we want to hold all elected officials accountable on. You know, handing over and endorsing signing on to a project like that. It's a big concern. Well, I wanted. To, um, but I think that's very legitimate too. Which you're, you're, the concerns that you bring about are very legitimate. Real, they should be uh, brought up. So, and they they inform me a great deal. Well, now I'd like I'd like to pull up a split screen of your of your uh, background and incumbent Diane Feinstein's responses to sexual harassment. Your colleague, former and senator Tony Mendoza, previously your roommate was expelled from the well, state. I was a housemate, not a roommate. It was a housemate. Oh, I'm I, sorry. He was a landlord. Oh, no, no, rent. that's a huge difference. Okay, a housemate expelled from the state Senate after it's determined that he sexually harassed up to six women. You then later introduced Senate Resolution 85, which cites the House's zero-tolerance sexual harassment policy and the results of investigations as grounds to expel uh, Senator Mendoza. So looking back on that case, and looking at what's gone on in the last couple of weeks in the U.S. Senate and the judiciary, what would you have done differently in the state Senate? Well, no, I think that I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. I think this is very important to, to underscore is that I don't think any man or woman should be a victim of sexual harassment, especially when they're just trying to do their job. Um, when we stop allegations, what we did is we moved very quickly to uh, to take any type of investigation and actually outsource it to an independent uh, legal law firm that would be free of any type of uh, political influence. Uh, we also established a 1 800 line number uh, for folks to make any phone calls, uh, anonymous phone calls, and uh, actually contracted with two nonprofit agencies that are experts uh, dealing with trauma. Um, and I think it's a, it's a model that will be used for other state legislative bodies because the sad reality is that 
this is um, not just a sort of a state capital issue. This is a societal issue that has infected our newsrooms, as you know it yourself, uh, um, has infected every sector, private sector, uh, the public sector. So I hope that Washington, you see in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress, take note, uh, because what we're witnessing right now is just a complete uh, uh, circus in the Washington, D.C., so profoundly disrespectful to women. So it's my hope that the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives, use the model that we've established uh, successfully to bring about transparency, accountability, and make it very clear that you created culture that no man or woman is above the law. And, uh, you know, as, as you pointed out correctly, I, I did author uh, the resolution, the Senate resolution to expel uh, Mr. Uh, Mendoza from the, the, the California State Senate. Uh, fortunately uh, for himself and his family, he made the right decision, and he tendered his resignation. Um, and I think that's why we should be creating cultures uh, uh, in every sector, uh, both public and private, that creates an environment that's free of any type of harassment. So I guess a, a, a tidy seg, I might get away with saying it this way, from sexual harassment to voter harassment, what keeps you, Senator DeLeon, more up at night? Russian hacking into democracies around the world or Chinese expansionist economic policies around the world, either or both? Well, listen, I think it's all of the above, but I think what keeps me up at night is the current occupant of the White House. Um, that keeps me up at night because that has a, a direct correlation with regards to the air that we breathe, uh, carbon dioxide uh, emissions into our atmosphere, uh, the, either the dirty water that we drink or the clean water that we drink. Uh, our immigrant families who are hardworking, who, um, who have uh, paid their taxes and who deserve an opportunity to normalize their status. Uh, the issue of a woman's right to choose and what's uh, hanging on the balance with this uh, potential confirmation of Brent Kavanaugh to, next, uh, uh, to be the uh, justice uh, of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. And obviously the issues with regards to China, uh, Russia, yes. uh, the Middle East. I, I think that uh, the Chinese the Russians are more than happy that Donald Trump uh, is the current occupant of the White House because they are seem to be getting away with a lot of stuff at the cost of American workers, our environment. Uh, and uh, what keeps me up at night is, is the occupant of the White House, more so than Vladimir Putin or the premier of China. Okay. I hear this loudly and clearly. So what are, what are some of the most revelatory policy considerations that your constituents have presented to you while you've been on the campaign trail? Well, it's, it's a, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, more than anything uh, about deep policy questions, um, spending a lot of time in Orange County and other parts of Southern California, I've been really honored to have everyday folks. Um, and it, it really doesn't matter their age um, or their ethnicity, white, um, Latino, African-American, Asian-American racially mixed, whether they're um, high-income, middle-class, or low-income. A lot of Californians have really opened up to me, um, and I, I've been honored that they have, they have really shared their thoughts and views. Um, they've shared their, their anxieties, uh, their panic, their, their, their fear, uh, what's happening today, um, how it's impacting them. They've also shared with me their, their goals and aspirations on what kind of California they'd like to see for themselves and 
for their children and for their children's children and a whole variety of issues. Uh, and um, that I've been really honored. It, it's not so much that a lot of folks come to me and say, hey, I got a great policy issue that I would like you to introduce if uh, you're our next voice representing us in Washington. But folks say, hey, I'm, I'm fearful that, you know, I may get a knock at my door at four in the morning and um, you know, may take away my mother or my father away. Or young children have shared with me that they're not sure their mother will be there not to pick them up at the curb after school because they don't know if an ICE agent will have taken them away. Um, I've heard from folks that I can't make it, you know, uh, uh, in today's day and age because um, it's very difficult for them to pay the rent and to uh, access, you know, quality health care for my children. Um, I've heard stories uh, from mothers whose children have uh, asthma attacks continuously because even though California is a very progressive state, uh, when it comes to our environmental laws, we actually have seven or eight of the top ten most polluted, smogiest cities country. So I'm really honored uh, with everyday Californians just really sharing their, their trials and tribulations, and uh, uh, um, they've uh, entrusted me to, to, to share that with. Well, I'd like to know where will anteaters, that is UC Irvine, Ilk, and the other Orange County residents have an opportunity to meet you in the remainder of this campaign season and how to follow you? Well, I can tell you this. I've been to Orange County quite a bit. You have. And, I've seen uh, you a couple. The University of California Irvine campus on two occasions. I was speaking on the issue of climate change. Uh, and I was just recently last week at the University of uh, in Irvine, and uh, I will be making my way. I don't have my schedule uh, at my at arm's length right now, but um, if you give me that opportunity, I will definitely get you uh, the information where and at what time I will be in Orange County. I have been in Orange. I have been in Fullerton. I have been in Santa Ana. I have been in Costa Mesa. I have been in uh, um, Westminster, uh Irvine, of course. I've been in San Juan Capistrano. Um, and uh, Orange County is, is, is a wonderful uh, county. It's a, a center of economic vitality uh, for the state of California. And I plan on going back there quite a bit in the next uh, a month and a half. Okay, a so and, uh, one week. Thank you. I'm going, to ha- I'm going to have Neil Kelly on right after you, Orange County Registrar of Voters. So what we'll do is we're going to close this interview with you giving your zap, your elevator pitch to all those people that are still too relaxed about turning out and voting. What's your pitch to have people be sure to vote in, on November 6th? Well, I say this, is that uh, we have no other choice. These are very unprecedented times in our nation's history. In fact, they're very dangerous times in our nation's history. We have a president that makes uh, Richard Nixon look like a choir boy in comparison. <laughs> and if you don't vote, the reality is if you don't get involved in politics, Politics gets involved with you, whether you like it or not. So what I would say is that if you believe that Washington, Democrat or Republican, if you believe that Washington is working for you, then vote for my opponent. But if you think that California is working for you and you want to export California values to Washington, not the other way around, I think the choice is very clear. In today's day and age, we need a new voice, a voice of change, a voice that will take our California values to Washington. And I hope to have your consideration. 
Well, thank you so much. That was all the time we have, and I know you have probably six more press conferences and a f- more fundraisers and everything for the rest of the day. My guest was, it was Ke- a real honor, a real pleasure. Thank, thank you. you so much. My guest was Kevin DeLeon. He's the state senator from the Los Angeles area, challenging incumbent U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. And this upcoming midterm election on November 6th, we'll be right back after a short break with Orange County Red Star voters Neil Kelly. So thanks for staying tuned. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest in this section is Neil Kelly, the Orange County Registrar Voters, at the helm for more than 18 years, administrator of the fifth largest county in the country. I always like to let that sink in. Given his ritual appearances on the show, we'll present the shorthand, as I said. Neil is an appointed member and immediate past chair of the United States Election Assistance Commission Board of Advisors and a member of the Election Assistance Commission Voting Systems Standards Board, a member of the National Institute of Standards and Technology Voting Technical Guidelines Development Committee, the past president of the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials, and the past president for the International Association of Government Officials. In addition, he's a current member of the National Academies of Sciences Engineering and Medicines Committee on Future Voting joins me in studio today. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Neil Kelly. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, let's go over and put into perspective some stats that we are at this point with Orange County wide registration. Any shifts since the primary? Quite a bit, actually. So wow. when you're looking at numbers compared to the last uh, three cycles, yes. So. Right now, since July 1, we've had over 100,000 registrations. And if you look at since 2016, July. the same time period, so that's a presidential, we had 64,000. So there's a huge jump in activity on the registration side. And then when you look at 2014, it's, it doesn't even compare. It's in the, it's in the 25,000 range. Okay, that is, it's bigger. It's bigger. Is it enough? Because when I was quoting the National Registration Day recognition last week, it was a bump up from the other midterm in 2014, but pronouncements from law school faculty that keep track of voting rights and everything, they're saying that's not enough. But do you th- is it enough? Well, you know, you know I, how many are sort of eligible around here? Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good point they're making. Uh, you know, out of those 100,000 transactions, about 26% of them are new registrations. So I, th- I think to the point that they're making, that's pretty valid. Okay. All right. So, and, and party affiliations are still tracking uh, a a, an increasing number in no party preference? For sure. That has gone up. Uh, we're now approaching 28% of the total voter registrations are in that category. And what we have seen is a, a narrowing between the Democrats and the Republicans uh, more so than in the last four years. So definitely a shift to no party preference and then that narrowing gap. So the Department of Motor Vehicles, we'll, we'll go through this like a lightning round. The, the voter registration snafu, is there anything that you were involved with, with sorting out the incorrectly f- 
filed registration forms from the DMV. Yeah, so that was uh, a statewide issue. Uh, right. It happened at the DMV level, as you pointed out. There was 23,000 voter registration records affected statewide, and in Orange wow. County, about 2,000 were affected. So what we've been doing is working to, to cancel those registrations and to make sure that that data is correct. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a long-term challenge to... Uh, get this process with DMV working smoothly. So we'll continue to hang in there. Well, it's like you didn't have enough to do. I'm sure that that was <laughs> right. just like agonizing for that to happen. Yeah. So then that is what we talk every cycle, every primary, every general, why it's important for people to verify their registration. I did it one more time today. So that's one reason why people can go find out whether the party rep registration was off, any details off, or if they're simply not there. Absolutely. They can access their full voter record on our website. I'd encourage everyone to do that. So we'll whiz through the deadlines and datelines for the now the statewide voter information guide. That is moving its way out. I haven't gotten, received mine yet, but people are starting to receive You it. haven't received no. your statewide. So that was mailed out the week of uh, September 17th. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Hopefully that's I wonder soon. what happened because I've uh, my address has been this. Well, it's not about me. But yeah. so and the sample <laughs> ballot delivery, those are now making their way out. Those are on their way out every day. Uh, we mail a couple hundred thousand per day. Wow. And so we'll be done with that mailing in the next few days. Okay. And then the information guide that is that we talked about that and the vote by mail applications are available now they're available Shortly. now and there's a lot of activity on oh, that front yes we're, we're seeing a lot of activity for requests for voter uh, vote by mail ballots and okay. we're getting ready to mail those too all right and the deadline for registration october 22 except for the newly made citizens which goes right up until November 6th. Correct. And keep in mind also, same-day registration is now in effect in California. So if you do miss the deadline, you could always come to one of our vote centers and register to vote. And that will that include the, the triage center on campus? Yes, it will. So people, there's no getting out of that opportunity. No excuses. <laughs> no, no, well, none at all. And so the um, we, we'll cover that. The election day, you're open for business all over uh, from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., now, what I noticed on your website, and, your, and there's constant revisions being made to make it more accessible, more user-friendly, that kind of a thing. So I noticed, though, it looks like we have to have our ballot on into you on November 6th. There's no delay in stamping it on Election Day and having it received a few days later. Well, actually, you can. So, I couldn't see that on the website. Yeah, and that's in the vote-by-mail section, so okay. I can point you to that. All right. But the the important point there is if a voter mails it on Election Day— Stamp that day. Stamp that day. I need to receive it in our office within three days. That's Friday. Yeah. Okay. Friday, Friday, Friday. Yep. And you certify the election on December sixth, and we, you know, we'll find out what's going on after. But there's a lot happening. Way, so in um, in meeting where the voters are, you've again you've stepped up. You've not only provided uh, the the pop up voting at UC campuses like was Cal State Fullerton. Are you adding to any of those pop up voting places? Because we don't have Hamilton Theater now. We have maybe some other opportunities. We are. We're, we're actually going to be uh, throughout the county during that 10 day period. And just some examples Saddleback College, like you mentioned, Cal State Fullerton here at UCI, Brea Mall, Brea, uh, Buena Park Farmers Market, Ladera Ranch, Santa Ana Main Place Mall. These are all exciting things that are coming up because there's a lot of foot traffic at those locations, too. I'm glad you mentioned the Buena Park Farmers Market because I want to tell you, I'm going to beat up on a farmers market manager for the Irvine Saturday Market. She is trying to whisk them away from there, the premises at the Mariner's Church 
parking area Saturdays, the Irvine. So I will um, approach her and say that she needs to get a hold of you, that Buena Park Farmers Market has institutionalized some the, this uh, the, a pop-up voting opportunity. So the registration is... Um, there, there's no card she plays and say uh, to discourage that activity. I'll but, stay out of that one, but we're we're happy to help but, if it comes up. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to stay in it because it's all about the numbers. I understand that. Yep. So then that's that's how many. It's the most that you've ever had for early voting uh, around states. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Orange County Registrar Voters Neil Kelly, steering the election infrastructure toward the November sixth midterm elections. He's here with me in studio. So uh, quickly, the ID required in California for voting. Right. So if you're a first-time voter in a federal election, which this will be, you are required to show some form of ID. That doesn't have to be a photo identification. That could be uh, something to verify your residence address. For instance, a, a school document. It could be a, a utility bill. The, that will be required for, for the first time. Once you've done that and satisfied that, you will never have to show that again. And then it can all be done on on the internet changing around. So I think that the New York Times Magazine had a massive coverage this last Sunday in the magazine about vulnerabilities in the election infrastructure. And you've been very out there all over the county talking about uh, various uh, vulnerabilities that you're staying ahead of. And I know you can't get into any real, real granular detail with us because you got to keep us safe from those intrusions. But uh, there were a number of points that, that was brought up in the magazine that we've talked somehow in, in part, and I want you to address uh, most of these, if we can uh, do that in the time remaining, that a hacker could conceivably rig the machine to print a voter's selections correctly on the paper while recording something else on the memory card. Is that taken care of in Orange County? It is. You know, and I read that, that magazine yes. article in detail, and I thought it was very well thought out. Uh, I, I thought they included a lot of good information. Not as applicable to Orange County. Okay, because that's where you are the leading edge administration managing our infrastructure. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I work pretty closely with activists as well as some very smart, intelligent people that are computer scientists from around the nation. And it is true. There are systems that you could certainly hack into if you had access. And the important point here is that uh, the system that we use here in Orange County was, by the way, was not mentioned in any of the problems. I looked magazine. and I noticed that yep. it was all everywhere. But yep, that's right. And I don't know that they could. I don't know why they would have skipped that because you, you're a. a an administrator in all of the national associations for this. Well, I, I think what they were focusing on areas where they had issues. And I, I think the important point for our system is that it is air-gapped from any network connection. And they point that out in the, in the article, that you can't just say that because you could ha possibly have intrusion from the ballot creation side or from the transmission of vote totals from polling yes. places, right? Right. None of that takes place in Orange County. It continues to be fully air-gapped, even the ballot creation portion. So there is no way that malware could get into that system. Uh, and that, that's, that's a, a very important point in all of this, because some states do allow transmission of election data back and forth from polling places. California's outlawed. We don't do that here in California. So when you meet with all of these administrators in, uh, outside of California, mm -hmm. so are they, are they just playing, we just don't have enough resources to do this? Or what, what's the reason there is such a disparity of, of talent and managing and being proactive in this process? Keep in mind, Claudia, that uh, so many election jurisdictions around the country are part-time uh, clerks. They're not doing this full-time. 
they just don't have the resources or the skills. And uh, you've got 9,000 roughly jurisdictions around the country. One of the things that, that gives me a little bit of comfort, and this, okay. is a, this is an ongoing process, by the way, this is never going to end, is that 30 to 50, roughly, of the largest counties in the country cover about 80% of the voters nationwide. And those counties are very proactive in doing things to help protect uh, and, and stand up defenses to our system. So that gives me some comfort. But hey, the bottom line is, is they're right in that article. We still have a ways to go. We've got to keep at this. So, and they mentioned about the three companies owning 80% of that. So they mentioned Dominion, Election Systems and Software, and Heart InterCivic. Those are not everyday uh, uh, company names, but are which one of those? So it is a is, small marketplace, and uh, Heart InterCivic is- That's the, ours. It, that's ours here in Orange County. And so does that have deliver a pretty good product? I mean, if yeah. you, you go to- voter machine fairs and this this is the this is the one that stands out well i'll tell you i think the board of supervisors made the right choice back in 2003 when, okay. we, when we acquired this system but certainly technology has advanced since then but keep in mind that the system that we operate on has a human readable paper backup to the entire process um, it stood the test in 2007 when then secretary of state deborah bowen decertified other systems in california so we can still use it here in orange county so uh, yeah, I'm 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 happy with the system we have, but we do need to move forward and replace that system because it's a legacy system that's aging. So I want to get back though, let you cap off this section with what your role is in best practices. You're talking about there's not much you can do when you've got part-time administrators of these this voting infrastructure in right. those rural areas around the country. But so what what is your role? What do you get to do to keep trying to put the gold standard before everybody and implement everything as much as possible that you're doing here in Orange County? Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm honored to have been appointed to the Homeland Security Election uh, Security Task Force. Um, I serve on that uh, at a national level with 24 of my colleagues from around the country. Uh, most of them are secretaries of state. And the work that we've been doing on that task force has been very important to standing up defenses and working to protect the systems, which, like I said, has no finish line. Um, but I would put this into three categories, if I could, real quickly. Okay. So here in Orange County, we're focusing on the physical uh, security, on the cyber security, and then on the social aspect. The physical side, lots of things done since 2016 to protect the physical structure, to protect the chain of custody, et cetera of the ballots. On the cyber side, lots I can't talk about, but I will tell you that there's three layers of defenses uh, that we operate on. The one thing I do want to mention to to your listeners is that we are one of the only jurisdictions in California that has what's called an Albert sensor on our voter registration network that's monitored 24 hours a day by a Homeland Security partner. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, and that's something that we've done just in the last few months. And uh, on the social side, that's ongoing training and um, looking at all of the social aspects with our employees as well as poll workers. How do we continue to give them heightened awareness on being alert and, and reporting suspicious activity and not falling victim to phishing scams? And the social? In terms of like yeah, the social the, media? Social media is a big part of that. You know, how, what role do we have in, in voters getting misinformation on social media? It's limited. But what we can do is when they call in, we can provide updated information. I will say this. I think voters should rely on their local election official for accurate information on the administration of the election. That's really important. You may read all kinds of things on Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, but if you want 
the accurate information go to your government partner in this and and that's uh, uh we we have at ocvote.com as well as on twitter and facebook so i'm hoping anybody who's just checking in at who knows what hours of the day and that the, they're sort of sucked into a, a Facebook vortex and it wouldn't occur to them, oh, it's time now to dial into my local government official. To, <laughs> that's to why I'm reminding this. everybody. Yeah, well, that's, and we'll do that, folks. If, if, if any details, we're going uh, to reinforce them in the, the public service announcements that we'll be producing here shortly. So the Orange County Ballot Express uh, does include tracking envelopes. How is that going to work? We were talking about that post-primary. So what can you assure uh, voters and they can use that to track the, their ballot? its movement toward uh, away from their polling place or their mailbox to the innards of the Orange County Registrar voters. So now we have full visibility on that ballot from the moment it's created to the moment it's mailed and then back to us. The beauty of that is, is that before we only had outbound visibility. Now we have visibility when it's coming back from your home or your work to our office. You can go online, ocvote.com forward slash track, and look at that just like a FedEx package across the entire process. Now, you brought up a really good point last election, which I appreciated, and that is if you drop it off at a polling place, it's going to be a few days before you can see that visibility. It was three to four days. Exactly. Yeah. So we're working on trying to get those ballots sorted a little bit quicker when we receive them on election night. But I'm going to tell you what, this election is shaping up to be historic for a midterm, and I think the numbers that are dropped off at polling places are going to be in huge numbers. So that takes a little bit of extra time to get those scanned in. Right, right, right. And, so. and it could be the more new voters you have, the mm-hmm. more provisional issues, the more labor-intensive it is for you to... But every, you know, there's still the, the public jury out about their assurance that provisional ballots are getting counted. Sure. You, you assured me, but you can reassure the public right here and yeah, now. Absolutely. And, and in fact, in the last election, the primary, we had a little over 60,000 that were cast countywide. of those were found to be valid. So you had just a little under 20% that just simply didn't live in Orange County or registered to vote. Okay. All right. Well, I will post all of the verify and all that and the number for people to call on Election Day. They need that little safety net. And I know you can't take more incoming calls, but people are going to need a number to dial. Absolutely. Write it it down. 714-567-7600. You'll get a live operator. Uh, we expect to probably handle about 15,000 calls on Election Day. Well, and I'm thanking you, Neil Kelly, for taking the time during your super demanding schedule today. Thank you. My guest was Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar Voters, taking the time out as we rapidly approach the midterm elections November 6th, everyone. And it's a to be a record-breaking turnout, and I'm weary of wishing of our usual 100% turnout that I toast you with at the end of every conversation. But let's 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 try to hope for close, to get closer to 100% every time. I agree. Okay, thank you. Well, that is my wrap today. Next week, I'll have on Mike Levin, Democratic candidate running for the open 49th congressional district seat, and I'm waiting to hear back from GOP candidate for the 49th Diane Harkey's office. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Verify your ballots, y'all.